Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 126, our interview with Jason Scott. Today's show is brought to you by the Herbal Nerd Society. The Herbal Nerd Society is a collective group of wonderful people who are super interested in nerds. In They're interested nerds. in nerds, too. We're They're not going to judge. Interested? Well, they probably are. But they should be because nerds are really cool, especially herbal nerds. Indeed, which is what our whole focus is. Actually, it's, it's enjoying the more advanced information about herbs that we have to offer. Yes. Yeah. Some of the very nerdy information, yes. but also yeah. very practical. Of course, because we are the practical herbalists. Practical naturally. herbal nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine for the year, you can help support us do this yeah. uh, every week. Yes. And it, the Herbal Nurse Society is a big sponsor of the Practical Herbs and of Real Herbalism Radio. We mm-hmm. couldn't do the hosting that we need to do without them. So we really do appreciate them being members of our uh, our site. And we're also brought to you by Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free street rich clinic in Eugene, Oregon, and we are there to demonstrate that healthcare really is a human right. You can help us out as we are a 501c3 at occupy-medical.org. And Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter Creations is a fam or a family-centered herbal practitioning practitioner practice with herbal coaching, health coaching, connecting people with plants to create health and wellness. Find out more at candacehunter.com. Hunter Creation. Hunter Creation is uh, graphic designers and website designers that will help you get your marketing idea out into the world. You can find them at huntercreation.com. And Ace High Heat Graphics. Are you looking for a really cool shirt for your for your event or um, organization for fundraising? You can find a great deal and make some good money when you order shirts with Ace High Heat Graphics. AceHighHeatGraphics.com. And... Uh, I wanted to say something more about our affiliates. Oh, about our affiliates. Yes, yeah, so Amazon Speaking of affiliates, affiliates, we are an Amazon affiliate. We are. If yes. you like to shop on Amazon, which a lot of people do because it's convenient and, you know, especially if you live in certain parts of our country where you need to have a store that doesn't have the stuff that you want to get. And one other great way to fund us or, or be able to give us um, money to support what we do here is to buy, is actually to go shopping. Go shopping on Amazon. But to get there, go through us. Find a link on our website and click on it. Any link that is an Amazon product. That's right. And if you don't even buy that product, which you should buy that product, but if you don't buy that product and buy other things like steak knives, maybe you need to have chains for your tires or a camera. Sexy jeans. Sexy jeans or, you know, your iPhone case, whatever it is. There's a grain mill I've been looking at that would be really fun. See? Really fun. So anything that you buy, the Practical Herbals will get a refiner's fee from. Amazon, which is the Amazon affiliate. That's right. And one of the easy ways to do that is just go to our show notes and you will see a little space down there and they'll have click here for some Amazon uh, related, usually book because that's most often what we talk about. We do love books. We do love books. We are book nerds. And then you just follow it onto Amazon and there you go. So just keep clicking away and have a good time and you'll know that as you are helping your life be easier with the products that you need, you're also helping the herbalists here at the practical herbalist they get money so a little bit of money for that a few shillings as it were yeah all right so on with the show when you hear the plants calling we highly recommend you follow even when they're drawing you into deep relationship with their cousins the fungi the experience will inevitably be magical today we're talking with spagyricist and amateur mycologist jason scott 
owner and operator of Feral Fungi and curator at Alchemycology about the synergy of mushrooms, medicine, and alchemy. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome, Jason. Yes. Thank you for having me. I have been looking forward to this. <laughs> alchemy you. is such a crazy, wonderful wonderful experience isn't yeah. it <laughs> sure is and something not a lot of people understand no i definitely don't yeah <laughs> and you're mixing it with mushrooms i am right which wow. is innovative so you don't have the little pointy hat you have a mushroom shaped hat i actually do have a mushroom shaped hat I that's don't. made out of a mushroom oh yes <laughs> sweet yeah. what kind uh, it's made out of the Foamies fomentarius or the Tinder Conk mushroom. Oh, nice. The same one that Paul Stamets wears. The little bowler shaped yeah. one. That's mm-hmm. so cute. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. You should have worn yeah. that. I should have. Oh my God. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so, well, we no, we had introduced ourselves to you because you are part of the Radical Mycology book that we've talked about before and we have a book review about and we saw your work in there and we were so tickled that you were at the American Herbalist Guild Symposium. Symposium. Is that what it's called? Yes. Okay, what were nope. we at? And that was back in October of 2000. Was it October of 2017? Yes. October, yeah. So yeah. kind of blurring together. <laughs> yeah. And we had the opportunity to meet you. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that you decided to come on our show. And okay, uh, your, your job title, mycologist, ethnobotanist, Spagyricist. Yep. Go to, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, just kind of like uh, got into this practice through my initial interest in ethnobotany, which is just the cultural relationships to plants, and then ethnomycology, which is the cultural relationships to mushroom, um, and then kind of my interest in mycology. And then the spagyricist part comes from the alchemical tradition, um, and spagyric medicines are some of the main kind of formulas that that we make or that we are are preparing in the lab so a spagyric medicine is a formula uh i would say it's a type of preparation so spagyric medicine would be like a holistic preparation um including the three principles from the alchemical tradition being the salt sulfur and mercury of the plant on kind of more tangible levels for people to understand you know it's the from plants, we have the salt being like the mineral salts of the plants. The sulfur would be the essential oil or the soul, the essence of the plant. And then the spirit would be the, the mercury would be the spirit of the plant. So it's kind of like a three, <clears throat> threefold uh, representation of kind of from the alchemical philosophy, everything is composed of those three things. Everything has a body, a soul, and a spirit. Right, and so our work as spagyricists are to separate those things from from the initial material, purify them, and then bring them back into a uh, um, higher resonant form of the same being that you were working with initially. So it's kind of like a, a form of a living. I like to think of them as living medicines, because you have all the, all the parts. So you think of the main difference between you know what I make at feral fungi being the spagyric tinctures. And a regular tincture is that I incorporate the mineral salts of the mushroom into How? that tincture. So <clears throat> once I've done the initial extraction, which I also do my extraction process a little bit differently than most people that I've ever met, but 
once I do that initial dual extract on the mushrooms, then I have the mark left over. And most people usually just throw that in the compost or get rid of it or do something else with it. And instead I take that and then I calcine it or I burn it into a really fine ash. And then I leach the mineral salts from the ashes uh, with distilled water. And then I put those uh, mineral salts back into the final preparation or tincture. Hmm. Giving, wow. Giving the body After back. filtering it or? Yes. Yeah. So after filtering the, the tincture, you filter the mark out of the tincture. Yeah. And then you're you've got the tincture which most people would be like done with and then bottle and put on the shelf and that's pretty much using what christopher hobbs had described for the double tincture method yeah but you're going a step further yeah i'm going a step further and i'm also using special labware for doing my extraction processes well of course (laughs) so i to my own mind it kind of gives a, a stronger um i'm able to do the water extraction first and the alcohol extraction second which i feel like preserves some of the more sensitive um compounds in the mushrooms like the triterpenes and stuff like that that might uh, not do so well in the water extraction Mm -hmm. or sorry um some of the water soluble compounds i'm getting those out before before doing the alcohol extraction which is going to get some of the more um fixed compounds out of there So how how did you arrive at this point? Because I know when you were 18, you didn't think, oh boy, this is what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and picture yourself in a, in a lab doing what you're doing today. So how did you right. get here? Yeah, well, I mean, it was a long <laughs> journey and I see it as kind of like a, a lot of synchronicities along the ways, you know. Yeah, um, it sounded, when we were speaking before, it sounded like it was really almost magical. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. maybe not almost. It really was it, magical. It was It was magical, for sure. And... So, I mean, it kind of, as I was explaining to you before, it's like my, my journey with the mushrooms, you know, really started in high school when I kind of like interacted with the mushrooms and had like this uh, calling from them all, almost, you know, and found this really profound spirit there and kind of like the way that it shifted my, my thoughts and my consciousness. And then from there, kind of always held on to that. And years later, when I was taking a permaculture design course in Portland, I'd heard about the radical mycology uh, conference up in Washington. I think the first one we did like out, I don't remember, like out by Tenasket, I'm pretty sure up kind of North East a little bit in Washington near, near to Canada. And, um, I heard about that while I was in the permaculture design course. And so I ended up going and I went kind of for like the more of the remedial effects of the mushrooms and kind of like the ecological, um, um, potentials of them and using them to remediate landscapes and clean up oil and all that kind of stuff and to incorporate edible ones into garden designs and stuff like that. But they also, in the nature of the radical mycology, were r- really expansive in all of the different topics that they covered and talked about. So medicinal mushrooms was one of the workshops that they had and like biology and they just went really deep and that kind of like took me on another level with the mushrooms and kind of like got me more interested in like starting the cultivation aspect again. And I kind of like dabbled in it a little bit, but kind of got more familiar with some different processes and, and learning from that way. So that was where the mushrooms really kind of like touched my heart and nice. um, came into my practice. And then, but they made sure that you knew about alchemy before they really got that 
pulled you into that aspect. Yeah. Who's yeah. The mushrooms, the I mushrooms. think she's referring to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The mushrooms. Yeah, the mushrooms. Don't do pronouns on me, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So um, I was kind of like becoming interested in in the medicinal mushrooms and and medicine in general, kind of just like using natural medicines and herbs and how how to work with those and work with people and was kind of coming at it from an ethnobotanical standpoint. I ended up going to Hawaii and doing a course in ethnobotany and shamanism and kind of like Mm -hmm. looking at the cultural relationship of plants of the big Island and then how that was kind of like replicated or mirrored um, all over the world in different traditional cultures. Um, So that was again, looking from the ethnobotanical standpoint. So as well as looking at, at plants like from the medicinal perspective and how they traditionally use them that way. We're also using looking at like plants that they're using for weaving, how they're using them for building their houses. And, and so I stayed on the big Island after I finished that class and continued my education, um, you know, with farming, natural farming, and then also getting more into the natural medicines. Was that through a college or? Yeah, it was actually it was actually a program through um, Goddard College, which oh. is like an independent college um, out of I think they're based out of Vermont. They also have kind of like a satellite school, but it sounds like they do pretty cool programs. And then they offer kind of individual classes like that. I think so that the kind Hawaiian of like, one was part of their satellite school, or it was a complete, it was just a specific course. I think it was just like accredited course that they did that they offered. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, before I left the the Island, I had this really profound experience with one of the plant medicines there. And, um, I was about to leave and my friend had given me this book on alchemy, um, this book called real alchemy by, by Robert Allen Bartlett. And, um, so I started to kind of like put my nose into that and get a little bit more curious about alchemy, you know, kind of like, I feel like most people had heard the term, but didn't really know, have any context for understanding it or like really know what it meant. And then it all kind of like you were talking about was all like really ethereal and kind of like hard to grasp and esoteric. It's a really, really heady, heady subject. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, that's philosopher stone. Yeah. Right. That's that's kind of the beautiful thing about it though, is it's on like one side, it has this like really heady side to it, but then it also has like a very tangible practice, which kind of that book kind of started to lead me to, and I've always been a better learner, more hands-on and like learning directly through people. So once I came back to Portland from the big Island, I ended up taking a course um, in herbal alchemy Oh, fun. Yeah, and that was at um at this cool little uh the Healing Arts Resource Project that was going on for a while in Selwood and um went and checked that out and kind of really saw what I was looking for, you know, because I've always had this more like spiritual inclination and curiosity and the more occult kind of esoteric ideas and philosophies and then um, just seeing the way that those were woven into this very like practical application and like yeah. how to prepare medicines and how to work with plants. And there's a whole, whole cosmology to all of it um, about where everything kind of originates and comes from. And then like how we kind of see and work with it uh, through practice. <clears throat> and so that was, that kind of like hit this chord for me. I was like, Oh, this is actually like really cool. And I can apply this in a way that's, that's going to be really fulfilling 
on deeper levels than than maybe just learning Western herbalism from an allopathic model or something like that. So right. you've seen much more like holistic and having this foundation of kind of heady philosophy underneath, <laughs> yeah. which I was kind of like drawn to that side before I became more grounded and found the herbs and found the mushrooms and stuff like that. So anyway, when he was done with that class, he he was talking about how he had just gotten back from Washington um, working with his teacher up there, Robert Bartlett, who immediately I realized was the author of this book that I'd been given <laughs> on the B- Big Island. So I was... The, what is it? The Real, Real Alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah. 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 And then he also wrote another so, one called Way of the Crucible. And both of them kind of just go into kind of like demystifying mm-hmm. the alchemical the mystical stuff. The mystical yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Now, hold on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And making them really tangible and accessible. And so I, I kind of pursued that and I, I emailed his, his wife and him and asked if I, if there's any way that I could come up there and study with them. And then I ended up taking classes with them that April of that year. I think that was probably like 2000, I think it was 2012 Okay. Yeah. Or it might have been 2013 that five, I initially four started. Four or five that. years ago, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I started with that and then met Robert and just so humbled and just this huge wealth of knowledge and, you know, wouldn't even really be teaching if it wasn't for his wife kind of like putting him out there. Share with the world. Exactly. This amazing gift that you have. And he just has such a grasp on the alchemical traditions and yeah. the alchemical practices and all of those things and just transmits them in such a beautiful and humble and open way. And so I was really drawn to that and kind of like worked through the programs that he offers up there and like, formed a relationship with them and uh, have done the classes multiple times each and kind of spent time hanging out in the lab with him and, nice. and studying and learning. In and your mushroom hat. In my mushroom in hat. Your mushroom. Yeah. Like your fancy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Long wizard pipes and oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you got to have the wizard pipes. Yeah. 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 And so, um, so at, at some point, you know, since the, the mushrooms were always kind of there for me and then like their medicinal use and their application, and I was kind of was curious like where where they fit in to the alchemical philosophy. So I kind of just like asked him about it at some point. And I think it also came up because, you know, there's been a lot of postulation by different people. Like I think uh, Clark Heinrich wrote um, uh, The Sacred Mushroom, and the, or, or sorry, it's a Magic Mushrooms and Religion and Alchemy. And that's all his whole exploration about how his uh, the the role that the Amanita Muscaria played in all these like religious traditions as well as kind of like in the alchemical traditions. And right. so there's been there's been a couple different people who've postulated that maybe like mushrooms were the philosopher's stone and trying to figure uh, out like what Soma is like and that. kind of like Yeah, and I I, th- like I thought that. it was interesting. Yeah. And so I, I kind of like asked I think I kind of approached it from that perspective. And just being like young and curious and his, his response was that the, the philosopher's stone or the Soma that they talk about in like the Vedic texts were probably more realistically from a metal, from like the metal realm, from a metallic origin. Yeah. And, um, and kind of, as you get into the the philosophy and the practice of alchemy, you see that the the metals are kind of like the epitome of the works. Yeah. So everything else is kind of like preparing you to work with the metals because Uh, those are kind of like 
being some of the most fixed beings in the planet have the most potential for their medicinal value and their spiritual value. And um, so even though, even though the mushrooms didn't seem like a, you know, a route to the philosopher's stone or to Soma as people have postulated it, um, they still were really resonant with me. And then just like seeing their inherent value as medicines and how oh, yeah. all the research people have been doing for cancer and, yeah. antivirals and antibiotics and um, all the applications that they're being used for. And then looking at how we process them through the alchemical method and they just behave very differently than plants. And then I think we've come to learn too, that the mushrooms are much more closely related to animals and humans than they are yeah. on the evolutionary tree of life than they are to plants. See, hence they. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so the, that just, that just kind of like <clears throat> called me and I started just kind of like thinking about it and thinking about the ways that you work with the plants and the minerals and the animals and using different solvents to get the different principles that we talked about before, the salt, sulfur, and mercury out of them is like, okay, how do we, how do we like work with these mushrooms and get the salt, sulfur, and mercury? And then on a deeper level, what are the salt, sulfur, and mercury? The Practical Herbalist Press, that's in addition to our website and our podcast. That is right. Practical Herbalist Press is all about providing really good books and information by written by experienced herbalists. Us. Us, but others <laughs> eventually as yes, well. that's very true. And it's bite-sized information that we research the heck out of. We have medical information out there that we're really doing a lot of research on. We are, we have growing gardening with herbs. We got stuff for about pets, your yes. home, your family. Ethnobotany. Ethnobotany. Mm -hmm. We also put it in terms of the traditional ways we've talked about historic, herbs. Historic. Like yeah. Historic, mm -hmm. whether they're warm and cooling, that right. sort of thing. Mythical and very practical stuff. The Practical Herbalist Press is dedicated to providing the best herbal related books on the market. Look for our titles on Amazon, search for the Practical Herbalist Press, or visit our website at practicalherbalistpress.com. On like a physiological level, like what kind of compounds are they comprised of to make them up? Um, so just kind of like have starting... a loose general term there yeah. that you're applying to a whole bunch of things. And to make it physiological, that's when the is it research, speculation, both... Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of started as uh, speculation and, and or, um, a hypothesis of kind of what those things are. That's and how like all different, science starts. Exactly, yeah. and like different ways to attain them, but also recognizing that the, the mushrooms are much different than the plants. So, for example, you know, when you're like lavender would be a great example. Like you're, you're distilling the essential oil of lavender to get the sulfur of the lavender plant you know, it's going to be primarily like linalool, right? It's going to be mm -hmm. one of the main compounds in that. And so a lot of the mushrooms just, they don't have very many volatile oils. So when you, you're working with the plant realm, your uh, steam distillation or hydro distillation is how you're going to get that sulfur, that essence right. out of the plant. <clears throat> but when you're working with something <clears throat> like from the animal realm, like for example, there's a process for making oil of an egg and that's 
good for all sorts of things, including burns um, oh, yeah. and skin issues. I had a friend using it for eczema. Oh, that's wild. Um, I just read about oil of egg uh-huh. in it, an Ayurvedic oh, yeah. one recently. Yeah, totally. It's got to be the same thing. So. Well, oil of egg. I've had oily eggs with goose eggs. They're oily. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that what you mean? No. <laughs> Not quite. No, thinking about it, thinking about it more like um, – like when you're extracting the essential oil out of a plant, it'd be kind of like the sulfur, or the essential oil from the egg. And that's attained through using a solvent to extract the um, oil out of the dried egg yolks. When you have rotten eggs, they smell like sulfur. That's for sure. That's okay. also true. <laughs> so you're going to have to give us a really quick 101 to better understand the yeah. idea of why would it be called sulfur? Why is it called mercury? Right. So that's, that's part of what makes alchemy so heady. And what honestly, right. I finally understood it when I read your alchemycology mm. article in yeah. or part section in Radical Mycology. Right. That's why I find like, oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> so. Right. So um, the origins of those terms specifically, I'm a little cloudy on. I could give you kind of like what, where to the best of my knowledge they come from but they oh, yeah. it's more of like what they they're referring to so yeah that's the part so we're makes- we're talking about you know when we say salt sulfur and mercury we're not talking about the minerals or the the elemental sulfur and mercury we're talking about um philosophical concepts right so it's the idea of <clears throat> right and what it represents and that comes from you know a lot of the traditional alchemists especially as it moved up into arabia out of egypt and that that was held and kind of like worked with. And, and, and it's really interesting that you brought up Ayurveda too, because um, especially in the Rasa Shastra tradition of Ayurveda, there's, they mirror each other very similarly. Yeah. And you get like the three principles with like the Vata Pitta Kapha yes. and like the salt, sulfur, mercury. And they're kind of talking about the same things. Um, but they worked really closely with sulfur and mercury in both of those traditions and purifying those to make medicine. Um, so I think those are, those are why the sulfur and the mercury as, yeah. as kind of like illusions or metaphors or Im- images for that kind of came into it. But on the most practical level, kind of like go through it again really quick <clears throat> kind of from the most volatile down to the most fixed this time. First, we have the mercury principle, which isn't actually mercury. We're talking about the spirit or the volatile principle. And so when we're talking about plants, I always like to relate it to plants because it's really easy to to think about and Mm -hmm. to understand, especially for people who are into herbalism and natural medicine and weird things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now we're talking about (laughs) So so the, the mercury would be the the spirit of the plant and is procured through a process of fermentation and distillation. And so you think that any plant, it's going to vary on the amount that it produces, but any plant, when you ferment it and then distill it, you're going to get ethanol from it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a universal spirits, principle. like alcohol yeah. spirits. And that's, exactly. and that's where we get the term for spirits yeah. from actually. So when you go to a liquor store or whatever, and you can buy spirits off the shelf, you're literally buying a plant spirit mm-hmm. and that's kind of the universal realm of, of the plant kingdom basically. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you attain that through fermentation and distillation and you do that and you rectify it a few times, get a really pure spirit yeah. from the plant. And so that being like a universal realm, you can 
you can use that to extract the sulfur. So that's kind of where tincturing comes in because like the sulfur would be the essence of something or the soul. And or so, the main, or constituents. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like the individualistic. To to. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And it's going to be the individualistic. So it's like, I like to think, you know, one way to attain the sulfur is through steam distillation. Like I was talking before. And like when you have like a bottle of cedar essential oil, like you can smell that essential oil and you know what plant that is that that came from. So it's kind of like the individual nature of that plant. And that comes through in its individual compounds and kind of like what makes it chemically unique mm-hmm. um, on that level. A lot of thujone in the, in the cedar in that, that case. And so you can also use the, the spirit of the universal spirit of the plant realm to extract the soul of any other plant. So that's kind of like where tincturing comes in, right? Is because you're u- using this universal solvent from the plant realm to extract the individual qualities of whatever plant you're working with. And that's pulling the, the sulfur out of that. And so. Uh, Sue, your eyes are kind of rolling <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> this all making sense? Are you like sticking it's with me a little bit? Candace. Yeah, yeah. It's totally amazing. <laughs> yep. So, so anyway, I'm going to try to like package it up really nice for you too. But I was well, still with, you with the alcohol and spirit. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Friday night, I am very spiritual. Yes. <laughs> I, I, there we go. For I sure. was with you there. And what spirit are you partying with? Are you partying yeah. with like the grain spirit or the uh, corn spirit? <laughs> because the spirit or the uh the sulfur is kind of like where modern science really concentrated that they started to strip away the salt and the mercury and look really at the the sulfur right and 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 even further than that isolating the isolating specific compounds out of the sulfur too so like they're like oh well here's this plant and this is the primary compound that has all the medicinal action and then stripping away everything else right through frac- so fractional distillation and all these crazy processes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, again, kind of like what we're, what we're going for from the alchemical perspective is like, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to get a whole extract of something. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're trying to basically get these three principles out of whatever we're working with. In my case, I work a lot with mushrooms, but you can do it quite just as easy with plants or minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're separating them into their individual pieces. In this case, the spirit and the alcohol, the sulfur or the essential oil. And then again, the salts just being the purified mineral salts uh, of the thing. And then you're purifying each of those and then you're putting it all back together. So at the end you have this holistic uh, preparation from what you started with and from the alchemical perspective you're raising that being from from its accidental form into more of its substantial form so those are kind of terms i think that came from aristotle but <clears throat> on the kind of like more philosophical level again you're working with something say you have like a nettle plant and you get it from way over there and maybe the soil is bad over there and it's kind of polluted and so the nettle is kind of growing hard yeah and maybe has like different compounds in it because it's growing like that and then you do this process on it and you get this purified extract Mm -hmm. from it you're raising 
the vibration or the intelligence of that nettle plant from that specific patch into the vibrational kind of field or energy or the intelligence of nettle as a whole species. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I know that in regular, even just regular old boring, not spiritual, shallow thinking, (laughs) herbal tincturing, like the OSHA Mm -hmm. um, honey that uh, my friend Patty made, she gave me the the honey infused roots Mm -hmm. to make into something else because there's so many of us herbalists at the end of the process, we're looking at the mark, which is the plant solids. I know there's still good stuff in there. Yeah, like I can give that to the chickens, but I want, may want it more. And and we've we've turned it into all kinds of funky things. And so we really have like Paracelsus to thank for that because really before Paracelsus came along, I think in like the 17th century um, in Europe, we, they had the salt and the sulfur principles and they were kind of like, these are the two principles and the Paracelsus came along and was like, well, and then there's like this body that's left over and like, what is that? And I think to me, that's one of the most profound parts of preparing the medicine because there's again kind of like looking at everything from two levels you know kind of the philosophical level and then the practical level and so from the philosophical level it's the body and it's the vehicle and so when you have you think of something that's like disembodied it doesn't can't really direct itself it can't really like go to where it needs to go so you have that body it kind of like takes that medicine and directs it where it needs to go the body knows how to interact with all the other forms of this world exactly kind of of like grounds them yeah mostly (laughs) Except when it's dysfunctional, but let's just not go there. (laughs) And then, and then thinking about it from, again, more of a practical level too, there's been a lot of research done that shows that mineral salts help to open up your system and make other compounds that are in those tinctures or those extractions more bioavailable Mm -hmm. to your system. So again, kind of like looking at the dual nature of that, where there's the philosophical perspective of the body and then there's the practical kind of like scientifically verified reason that these like cell salts kind of actually help with absorption of certain medicinal compounds. Hmm. So mushrooms were not part of like the giant materia medica of the alchemists really no Mm-mm. you've made them a part of that yeah right? they missed out <laughs> yeah they definitely did you came around <laughs> that's why the mushrooms were probably calling they're yeah. like hey we've been left out of this alchemy thing we are that, that's enough we're done with that right and there's this potent thing to explore with them yeah i mean the, the, like like I, I think i was kind of mentioning to you beforehand you know at best, mushrooms were just kind of like tapped on to the end of herbs, yeah. which as we know now, like mushrooms are much different than herbs. Yeah, they are really interesting. They're a unique little thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's just not been very much research done um, comparatively to all the different species of mushrooms and all the different medicinal compounds and how you work with them. And, um, and most of the research that has been done in that capacity has been in the East, you know, in China mm-hmm. and Japan. And so I think as Westerners are coming to like learn about medicinal mushrooms and what they are. And like, I think it is a really good time to kind of like weave it into this practice. And we're kind of getting over, I'm sure Peter probably talked about like fungal phobia. Yeah. Yeah. We have a ways to go yet, but we're getting there. (laughs) Yeah. So there's like this cultural fear around mushrooms in a lot of different places and in Europe, you see that a lot. And so I think, I don't know, it's kind of like a mystery to me of why, 
why they were never like looked at or explored because to my own mind, the mushrooms are kind of like the little alchemists of nature, you know, because think of alchemy as the art of transmutation mm -hmm. and what do mushrooms do in nature is they're literally like transmuting the environment and changing and making things bioavailable to the plants. They're breaking down toxins. They're breaking down metabolites, you know, creating secondary metabolites that they're using for medicine to break down lignin and mm -hmm. cellulose and, yeah, to me it seems it seems like the chances in in my, you know, very humble <laughs> opinion, the chances are pretty high that the reason mushrooms weren't really looked at is that they really didn't want to be looked at yeah. because they were waiting for a time when it was truly needed. And I think they're kind of saying, "Hey, no, now it's time." Yeah. Stuff's really happening here. Yeah. We got to fix this. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty pretty accurate perspective on it and i mean yeah. just I, I feel like just even seeing in the past you know couple of years how much more people have kind of like glommed onto the mushrooms and seen the yeah. potential not only medicinally but in all their applications you know making fibers and furniture and all yeah. this kinds of stuff out of them well, are science advanced enough that we could do more with it and mm -hmm. the kind of things that you're doing i'm sure are applicable to a variety of fields that people haven't even thought about mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. So that's the more that people connect with each other culturally, the more we can learn about the different sciences and philosophies from different cultures and then work them together to more a more advanced human system. Right. I'm wondering if I noticed um, in your biography, you talked about the, instead of the fungal kingdom, you used it, the queendom. I'm wondering if that's related to some of the things we're talking about here. Yeah. And I really adopted that from, um, from Peter when we were writing the book, you know, initially everything that I'd written, I'd written it under the fungal kingdom and he changed, I think he changed everything in the book to fungal queendom. And, you know, I think just kind of going with the title of the book and kind of like the intention of radical mycology is like, we're getting back to the roots of things. And I think part of that is just kind of like looking and like reinvigorating the feminine nature, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of like the, that matriarchal spirit that's kind of been lost or, or stripped away from a lot of different cultures um, over the years. And just kind of like this nourishing spirit that the mushroom has in all these different ways, you know, to remediate the landscape and really take care of things and to feed us and to give us medicine. And so I think that kind of plays into the, where the queendom hmm. comes in as opposed to kingdom. I like it in part just because when you look at like, like for instance, Chinese medicine, mushrooms almost universally are strongly yin, which, you know, strongly <clears throat> yin means the, that which you take in shelter, build, build into um, tissues like your your body and that sort of thing and it's also often associated with the feminine principle mm -hmm. which is the taking in and the building into something new mm -hmm. so the quieting down or i don't know if i'm doing a good job of saying it, but to yeah. me that, i'm like mushrooms it makes sense that they're yin it makes sense you would say queendom there right well and there's i think you know i'll talk a little bit more and this maybe, and then maybe like in the next time I get to talk with you guys too about kind of like the doctrine of signatures and correspondences. Oh, our listeners are going to love that. Yeah. yeah. And so, so we think about like the plants are, are generally ruled by the sun, right? Mm -hmm. Because they right. grow with the sun and they, they operate under that light. Right. And they Not have mushrooms. Like, yeah. Not so mushrooms, mushrooms, yeah. mushrooms they found actually grow typically more with the, the moon. Mm -hmm. And there's that duality between the sun and the moon, you know, the king and the queen 
or the, the masculine qualities and the feminine qualities. And the moon has much more of that feminine energy and the qualities. And then you think of all the things associated with that, like the tides and the water and kind of yeah. like the emotions. Mm-hmm. And, so. and the reflection of the sun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we only yeah. see the moon because it takes the sun's light and reflects it back at us. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting because I had started the first time I ever read a book about um, psilocybin mushrooms. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was pretty much revolving around, look, mushrooms look like penises. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole damn book. And I thought, I don't want to read about your penis anymore. I yeah, just, just, sorry, yeah. author. I'm, it got boring a couple yeah. of chapters ago. Yeah. So to have it go beyond just <clears throat> genitalia and more into energy and how people work with each other as opposed to um, the way that particular author, I won't mention the name because other people are welcome to have their own interpretations, mm-hmm. which is, this is what the mushrooms do to you or do right. at you or, right. you know, that kind yeah. of, it, it wasn't my cup of tea totally. yeah. at the time. <laughs> so to hear you talk about it in a different way, right. it, it makes, it gives me kind of an opportunity to step back and go, okay, well, maybe I should readdress it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the kind of that like dual nature, you know, going on there too and will like the the moon and the sun have kind of like the feminine and the masculine qualities is also kind of associated with the passive and active qualities and the a lot of mushrooms do have a pretty like phallic shape sure they yeah. do you bet they do fruiting body but yeah. but you also have to recognize that that's just like the sexual organ that's kind of like the thing that's like expressing itself and that's kind of doing that active masculine kind of quality work mm-hmm. by like coming up and spreading the spores, but it's one, it's relatively short lived for most mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And two, you have to look at everything that's going on underneath right. that. The which is the mycelium. Yeah. Where, where, yeah. That's, yeah. that's where the big yeah. stuff's happening. Yeah. yeah. The, the fruiting body is actually like the tiniest part of the mushroom. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost right. nothing compared to what it is that <laughs> the <laughs> right. foundation there. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. very interesting too, because now that we know so much more about hormones and our endocrine systems as humans, we are learning that, this male female thing was really a, a very primitive way of looking at it. And that's mm-hmm. not actually the way our bodies work. Yeah. So to find out that the mushrooms are not, it's a dude, right. You know, that yeah. there's a lot more than meets the eye and far right. more than our primitive understanding of male and female as well. Right. That right. Uh, gender X perhaps could apply more mm-hmm. readily to what we're seeing with mycelium. Oh, totally. And I mean, people kind of like engender different, especially, you know, traditional cultures, you know, will relate to different plants and different like rains. Like you have a male rain and a female rain and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And definitely think, you know, there's certain plants that are much more masculine and certain plants that are much more feminine, but the mushrooms are definitely androgynous. You know, yeah. as far, they are as far their as, own yeah. thing. As far as I yeah. can tell. Yeah. yeah. It's our perspective. And then I just want to be clear too, that like when I'm talking about masculine and feminine, it's like, we're kind of, we're talking about kind of like this sacred duality or these yeah. archetypal kind of images. And, and they are associated with all these different um, qualities, you know, that mm-hmm. go along with them. And it's not necessarily how we think of male it's and not, female. And yeah. It's modern. not man and woman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, from, from that perspective, we're, we each kind of have this dance of masculinity and femininity going on inside of us mm-hmm. at all time. And it's just kind of like, what are the active qualities? What are the passive qualities? And- mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's uh, I like seeing how the things that we learn about our world helps us develop better as people. Mm-hmm. 
appreciate all of your time that you've put into this interview and mm-hmm. also all of the time that you've been working on so passionately on this particular topic. How can people get a hold of you? Yeah, well, I, I teach uh, through Alchemycology. Um, so I've got a website, alchemycology.com. We'll have um, a link in the show. And mm-hmm. Which we'll link in the show notes, yeah. And um, so you can contact me there or at feralfungi at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feral Fungi is where I offer my spagyric tinctures. That Your spagyric tinctures. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my spagyricist comes into play. <laughs> We're just loving that word. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well thank lovely. you very much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great. And if you like what you heard today, make sure to give us a great review on iTunes. We're always looking for those awesome five-star reviews. So check into iTunes and give us a great review. And put an herb on it. Put an herb on it, folks. (laughs) The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.